Hey everybody, it's Bryn Griffiths and Paul Almeida, and welcome to yet another edition of Canada Bears Sportcast. As we get all excited about the World Junior Hockey Championship coming up this holiday season. It's coming quick. Uh, yeah, you know what it is, and the weather lately has indicated to me that we're getting... Winter is coming. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Paul, great to see you again. Yeah, great to be here. Okay, obviously we're taking a bunch of people overseas with us on the, the big tour. How's it going so far? We only have a few spots left. We uh, are taking over 300 people to the World Juniors in the Czech Republic uh, this Christmas, and it's going to be a great time. Tickets sold out for a lot of these games. Yeah. So, and we have some. We have, like I say, the 30, some uh, <laughs> less than 30 left. But yeah, the tickets for all the Canada games, all the medal games at this moment are sold out. Wow. So if you want to go and you want to watch it live, give us a call at 780-906-7110 or at our website, azorcan.net, azorcan.net. We'll give you some more details on how you can join us and have a ton of fun over in the Czech Republic. And, you know, there's off days, and we're going to be doing great fun stuff on off days too. Yeah, we got a day trip to Vienna. We have a, a tour of a cave system. We have a wine tasting. You, you know I'm claustrophobic. I'm probably, I'll hold I'm probably, your hand. I, <laughs> I might give the cave thing. Although I've heard great things. I, one of my cousins was over there recently and did that tour Yeah, and loved it. And, of course, I was sweating bullets as she explained the whole thing yeah. to me. So I, I'm... I might need your hand to be well, held could, and my could, hand to be held. You could always bring a bag of popcorn and drop a kernel every few steps in case you get lost. Yeah. Then just follow that Did bag. that not happen to Hansel and Gretel in Germany? <laughs> as Did long they, as there's not a dog behind you eating them. Exactly. Or or birds to uh, pick up the pieces of breadcrumbs. <laughs> or bats. Yes, any of that kind of stuff. Anyway, we'll get into all that that stuff in a, in a few minutes. But coming up in a few moments, we're going to be chatting with a guy that I've known for a very long time who I haven't talked to in a long time. Yeah. Greg Drinnen. Greg Drinnen, a longtime writer and follower of Western Hockey mm -hmm. League action and also Junior Hockey League action here in Canada. And Greg used to write an article in the Regina Leader Post when I was in Moose Jaw doing play-by-play. -play. Yep. It was called Around the Western Hockey League, and I think it came out every Wednesday. I'll have yeah. to ask him just to refresh my memory. We never missed it. Everybody read it. We loved it. And if we could get quoted in Around the Western Hockey League, man... You want to talk about an ego boost? That's two points on the ego. Huh? Uh, that's exactly it. Like, I need more of that. But anyway, I, I, I respect Greg highly. He's written some books. Yes. And uh, we can touch on that, actually, a little bit toward yep, the end of the should. interview as well. But mm -hmm. I'm looking very much forward to uh, chatting with Greg coming up in a couple of moments. But it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. When you start talking about junior hockey and you start talking about guys who've been around for a very long time covering junior hockey... I don't think there's anyone more knowledgeable than Greg Drennan. I, I think you'd be especially very, about very the hard Western pressed. Hockey League. I think there's very few people that can uh, stand with Greg Drennan when it comes to information about the Western Hockey League. Joining us from Kamloops, BC, Greg Drennan. Oh my God, it's been such a long time since we chatted. Well, I've been in Kamloops for uh, going on twenty years. So, uh, yeah, 25, 26, 27 years, something like that. Greg, how, how long were you covering junior hockey? Because it just seems like it was forever, and I mean that with the deepest respect. Well, I, uh, my first two years as a sports writer at the Brandon Sun, um, I, wasn't the, the, I covered the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. I uh, went to the Winnipeg Tribune in 1973, uh, covered a little bit of the kind of the backup guy with the clubs and the Monarchs. 
Um, went to Brandon in the fall of 1978, uh, specifically to to uh, be the beat guy on the Wheat Kings. That was the team Dunk McCollum took to the Memorial Cup with the the McCrimmon boys, Brad and Kelly McCrimmon, and the Prop Ellis and Boschman line. So from the fall of 78, pretty much right through um, until the Daily News folded here in uh, January 2014, um, you know, writing writing for a newspaper just about every day um, about hockey. And then uh, after the newspaper folded here, well, I had, my blog had started in, I think, I think it was 2007. So I just uh, pretty much moved my writing onto my blog and uh, wrote that up until uh, well, a few weeks ago when I, I decided to move on from hockey. And now I just write pretty much about kidney-related stuff on, on my blog, my wife having had a kidney transplant. Between Brandon and Kamloops, a, a rather sizable stop in Regina, too, with the Pats. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, in Regina for 17 years. Um, the last 12 as sports editor, so uh, uh, did a lot on, on the Pats. And it was actually in the, when I was in Regina that I actually started something called Around the WHL, which uh, it started out as a newsletter that I, I sold to NHL teams and uh, morphed from that into a, a weekly piece in the newspaper. And I continued it when I, uh, when I got to Kamloops. And uh, while I was in Kamloops was when the newspaper industry began to fall on hard times, and our news hole shrunk, uh, uh, our sports news hole shrunk here in Kamloops. And at that time, I was, I was uh, writing a WHL notebook that, that ran once a week, and um, it, it was quite lengthy, and we definitely didn't have room for that kind of length in the sports pages here anymore. And that's when I, you know, blogs were just starting to, to become a thing, and I decided, well, what if we, what if I just transferred from that uh, to the Internet? And that's basically how my blog started. Paul and I were chatting before you joined us about around the Western Hockey League. What I can't remember. What day did it come out on? Do you remember? Was it Wednesday? At the yes. Leader Post? Yes, I used to send it out. I used to send it out to <laughs> NHL teams on Tuesday afternoons, and it would be in the Wednesday paper. And and Rob Carney and I always used to get very excited if we could find a way to get quoted. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Brother Love. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, we Rob, uh, Car- Rob Carney in his white suit. We uh, we had a, our goal when we were doing Warrior Games when I was there was we wanted to. We were uh, we were in a hot rock and radio station CHAB at that time, and we wanted the broadcasts to fit in with the style of the radio station. So we listened to what Kevin Gallant was doing at CKRM in Regina, and we said we we can't do it like that. Kevin's got that down, or we'd listen to Roger Millions up in Saskatoon on CFTC right. or. Morley Jager, uh, you know, up in Prince Albert. Any, anyway, we, we decided we wanted to go a completely different direction, and that's the way we went. So if we could get quoted in your column, we always thought that that was about as high, <laughs> if that was about as high an honor as we could achieve. And we were able to get in there a few times. It, it wasn't hard. I had lots of room. <laughs> but hey. an interesting thing, there was, uh, I don't know how many NHL teams subscribed to it at the time. I mean, I pretty much gave it away. It, it certainly <laughs> didn't cost them an arm and a leg. Uh, one NHL team was always late in paying, and I always had to pester them. I always ended up talking to the general manager's uh, secretary, and it just happened to be Lou Lamorello and the New Jersey Devils, if you can imagine <laughs> that. Yes, I'm I having can imagine a tough time that. with that. Yeah, I can imagine that, Greg. 
so when did you leave uh, Regina, Greg? When did I leave Regina? Yeah, the paper there. Uh, the spring of 2000. Okay, so you would have been in Regina when my brother played for the Blades under uh, Brad McCrimmon then. Yes, yeah. Okay, there's some wars yes, back. There were some uh, wars I, back then between I, them and Moose Jaw. Oh, yeah. And the Pats, yeah. so. It was always fun. Yeah. Have yeah, the, and Brad, Brad was a friend of mine. I, I covered him in, uh, when he was with the Wheat Kings. Yep. And uh, uh, I, I loved running into him when he was when he was coaching the Blades. He he, he added a lot to the uh, Saskatoon Regina rivalry, oh, yeah. claiming that uh, that the, the, the someone in Regina he wouldn't point the finger at the Pats. Well, he pointed the finger at the Pats, if you know what I mean. <laughs> but he was always complaining about the they uh, they turned the hot water off in the blade showers, or someone puts put uh, grit on the dressing room floor, or someone they they just happened to wax the dressing room floor just before the blades got there. So there was always something to write about in those days. He was a great man, uh, Greg. I know my brother looked up to him uh, for the years that my brother played in Saskatoon. Uh, he really, really talked very highly of Brad. And uh, the day that Brad passed away in that uh, awful plane crash was a very tough day, I know, for my brother. And, and I'm sure for a lot of people that knew uh, Brad in the Western Hockey. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it was, it was a tough day for me, too. I had a hard time believing it. Let's talk about the World Junior Hockey Championship. Now, here's an event that the TSN took that was a low-profile event and built it into something absolutely magical. And now it's, uh, it's a staple of uh, television viewing over the holiday season. Do you have many, much connection specifically with the event? I know you know all the guys that played, but have you have you been able to attend any? I, I attended two okay. um, um, from start to finish. One in uh, the, the one in Saskatoon in, or in Saskatchewan, really. Uh, that was the 91 uh, tournament. And then uh, one in Winnipeg in 1999. And I think they were two of the the, the more magical uh, World Juniors. The one the one in '91 was was TSN's first year as as the uh, the host broadcaster. Um, so that that's when it it really started to take off. And it, it really the the thing I remember about about it. I was at the Leader Post at the time, and it really captivated the whole province because there were there were games in uh, eight or nine different communities, um, games in Regina, and of course the the final was in was in Saskatoon, um, and and it just captivated the whole province, and that that was the beginning of of TSN. Uh, I think you could say weaving a magical spell yeah. over a country, um, you know, every year at Christmas time since then. And the one in Winnipeg, uh, similar to the one in, in in Saskatchewan, there were games played outside of Winnipeg. There were games in Brandon and uh, I think Morden, Toulon, maybe one or two other places. But Winnipeg didn't have the Jets. The Jets had gone to Phoenix, and so this was uh, really a you know a, a big deal in, in Winnipeg. Not to say it wouldn't be with with the Jets there, but there there was a a, a real hunger and, and uh, a real noise, a real buzz in the community and of course it was played in the in the winnipeg arena and, and you know the match to me it, it still meant something because the old Nash canadian national team uh fran hawk marshall johnston barry mckenzie guys like that had had played in, in the winnipeg arena so internationally that building still still meant a lot to uh, to i think a lot of people that portrait of the queen i, I have it in my garage by the way 
I was going to mention <laughs> the, por- the portrait of the queen. Wasn't that something? Wow. Yeah. They should have it in the new building, Greg, don't you think? They should have. You know, it's center Actually, ice. You're it right. should be on the scoreboard at center <laughs> ice. Uh, so, you know, you being at the tournament in Saskatoon in 91, we were going to ask you, you know, if there are any vivid memories of the world juniors that come to mind. Of course, the in Saskatoon, I believe that's when uh, Slaney scored the goal to win the tournament, wasn't it? That, that, was, the, that was the John Slaney year. Um, it was also the Eric Lindros year. That was, yes. uh, I, I think... Eric Lindros' coming out party on the, on the international stage. I think he had uh, 17 points in seven games um, and really was showed that, it, that he really didn't have much left to prove at, at that level. He really was, you know, uh, it's a cliche, but he really was a man among boys. And uh, uh, I remember I went to Saskatoon and covered the games in Saskatoon, but there was... There were, there were no playoffs then. It was the, the team that finished atop the round robin won the gold medal. And Finland and Russia played in Regina. And Finland uh, scored with, I want to say, 15 seconds left in the third period to tie Russia 5-5. So that left uh, Russia at uh, 5-0-1. And Canada was 4-1-1 going into the, the last game. Yeah. It, you know, it, Luckily for the organizers, it, or fortunately, it turned out to be the gold medal game. But it, it wouldn't necessarily have been had had Russia won that game. Well, it wouldn't have been had Russia won that game. So Canada beat uh, Russia in the last game on, uh, as you mentioned, the goal by John Slaney. So uh, both teams entered five one and one, and because Canada had beat Russia, Canada got the gold. Um, the other the other thing I remember about that tournament, or one of the things, is uh, Pavel Burek was playing for Russia. Right. And this was this was before Hockey Canada really took physical control over the entire tournament. Think things media-wise were a lot looser. Mm-hmm. And I can remember riding down the hotel elevator uh that my wife and son and I were staying at uh with with Pavel Bure, some of his Russian teammates. Um you know, didn't mean a whole lot to my son at the time, but later on when when Bure turned into something of a star, my son was able to tell his buddies he'd been he shared an elevator ride with with Pavel Bure. Something tells me that doesn't happen uh, at tournaments now. Yeah, well, you know I think that 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 there's not that it's security, but uh, there's a much tighter cap kept on on these players and on the teams, especially with with more media involved too. But back then you could just you know you could walk up to players after games. Uh, it, it really wasn't as, as structured as it is now. It's funny. I remember chatting with Doug Wade, and he said the one thing he remembered about that event was how bitterly cold it was. Oh, there and the one in Winnipeg. But <laughs> yeah. the one in Saskatoon, some NHL scouts, and I, I want to say the late Lorne Davis was one of them. Okay. They had, they had been, they set up shop in Saskatoon, and they had rented a car and drove to Regina. For a for a game, and had decided to go back to Saskatoon right after the game, and it it was like bitterly bitterly cold, and the oil light came on in their car in their rental um, a few miles outside of Saskatoon, and they made the decision to, to there was no way they were stopping in the in the middle of the bald prairie on one of these nights, and they forged ahead into Saskatoon and roasted the motor in in, in the car. <laughs> so, 
Well, but I remember, you know, it was bitterly cold with with the bitter wind. Yeah. And it's funny because the same thing happened in in Winnipeg at the '99 tournament. It it was uh, it was a portage in Maine winter. It really was. You know, I, I was chatting with Theron Fleury not long ago, and uh, we catch up maybe once or twice a year. And and we're chatting about because I'm going over to the Czech Republic, and Piastani's just across the border. <laughs> And and I, we started talking about that, and and he he says now he's got a few regrets about a few things he said and did. But one of the things that was very memorable about that event was the day it happened, because that was the same day that you were probably with me and uh, others in Swift Current. We were at the memorial for the Swift Current Broncos after their right. horrible bus accident. We'd heard about this punch up in Piastani coming back into Moose Jaw from Swift Current on the radio, and we all immediately assumed that Theo Fleury and Mike Keene were involved, and of course they were, but that was a real surreal time, and to hear about that event after going through such an emotional, tough event in Swift Current, that was a tough day. It's a memorable day for me. I remember when I heard about the Piastani thing, I remember laughing, and and I think it was because... I. Uh, the the swift current thing the, the the bus accident I was so um, tense uptight whatever you want to call it down in the dumps over that yeah and I heard about the the Piastani thing and I and I just I remember I just burst out laughing just uh, I, not that I thought it was funny but for some reason it just gave me a real a real sense of relief and then of course when you started hearing the the stories of the lights going out and um, who was Don Cherry on the air with? Brian Williams. He was on with Don Brian Cherry. Williams, yeah. Don Cherry and Brian Williams getting into it uh, on air. And uh, the other thing that I thought of at the time was all the all the work that the Western Hockey League had done to get that stuff out of its game. And all of a sudden, here it was, something like this happening on, on the world stage was, uh, you know, really, really hit home. Well, I've been I've been at that rink, Greg, and I tell you, it's uh, quite something walking in there, especially knowing the history. Was it lit? Uh, it was lit at the time we played a hockey game there, but it's it's quite interesting when you know the history of what happened there, and then you walk in. It's it feels kind of surreal when you go into a place like that. And, and let's not forget, it was also a, a, a different world officiating wise. Oh, oh yeah! Oh yeah! <laughs> it was. Uh, you you hate to blame the officiating for something like that, but uh, man. Uh, that used to that used to be an issue every single year, no matter what the event was. Any any international event, it was always an, uh, an issue. So, um, you know, kudos to whoever's done so much work to clean up that part of the game. You wouldn't have seen Kevin Minch or Mick Magoo turning off lights at an arena. I I could have imagined Mick Mick Magoo just <laughs> to, saying to the linesman, "Well, let's." Go back, lean on the boards, and let's watch this one. Yeah, let's go get a coffee and wait till it's over, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or maybe order pizza. <laughs> order a pizza, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll get to, we'll that, get to that soon. <laughs> uh, so turning to uh, this year's event a little bit, uh, Greg, uh, who's the best Western Hockey League player you have ever seen? The best Western Hockey League player I have ever seen? Uh, forward, I'd have to say Brian Propp. Wow. Um. I don't know that I have ever seen a player who needed to score and loved to score as much as Brian Propp did. Okay. Um, he he just he just had to score. Theo Fleury was right there too. Um, I, I remember one season in, in when I was in Regina, <clears throat> when Theo was in Moose Jaw, Joe Sackick was in Swift, 
and Mike Madonna was in was in Prince Albert. Yep. I don't think I've ever seen more really good hockey games that you know with with those guys. I go to Moose Jaw and watch those guys all the time, and it, it was just amazing. Is there a guy, Greg, that maybe went to the World Juniors? and really surprised you by how he played at that tournament versus how he played in the Western Hockey League, either good or bad? Um, maybe Brad Stewart. Hmm. Hmm. The, the year yeah. in Winnipeg. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, he was a good, don't get me wrong, he was a good defenseman. But, the, the, of course, I'd watched him quite a bit in Regina, and he went to Winnipeg, and there was a lot of buzz about him uh, being traded. Uh, of course, with, with uh, the WHL trade deadline arriving shortly after the World Junior every year, there, there's always buzz around, or, or generally buzz around some of those players who were there. And he, I really thought, despite all that, he, he elevated his game. He played his role, the, the role they wanted to, wanted him to play, which was a, a bit more defensively than, than uh, he was, was asked to play in Regina. And I, I just thought, of the players, certainly of the players I was familiar with, uh, I, I really thought that he'd elevated his game. Now, the Western Hockey League has been noted for many years for providing a lot of the best defensemen for the Canadian national team at the World Juniors. Uh, there was a young uh, gentleman by the name of Bo- uh, Bowen Byram out of Vancouver that was drafted quite high last year by the Colorado Avalanche. Do you think his game is well-suited for the international game? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, I think he. I think his game is well-suited for the NHL. I'll be really interested to see if Colorado keeps him. Um that was going to be my Joe next Sackett, question: Is do you think he Colorado makes it to the World Manager, Juniors? As much as anybody knows the you know the importance of, of of not bringing these guys up to the NHL too early to you know certainly not to keep them for the whole season, but uh, what I saw of Bowen Byram last season um, really dazzled me, and and the thing that really stood out to me was the way he makes all the players around him better. Um, Man, uh, that uh, uh, what was the kid's name? Kanak Liepert was his uh, blue line partner, and uh, he, he's he's an NHLer playing with with Bowen Byram. It'll be interesting to see how he is he is this year if he, if Byram happens to stick in the NHL. But I, I can't think of one aspect of the game that that Byram can't play, and uh, to put him on the big ice and give him a little a little extra room, I, I think uh, would just make him even that much better because his his vision and his his puck skills are off the chart. I've heard that uh, he's the best defenseman to play in the Western Hockey League since Scott Niedermeyer. Is that, uh, is yeah, that too I much praise or accurate? No, I, th- I think that's fair comment. Um, that uh, I saw him quite a bit uh, last season, and uh, he, he really he really blew me away. And I think you also have to give Jamie Hewitt some of the credit for that. Whoever's decision, and I assume that, that it was Michael Dick, the Vancouver head coach, uh, it was his decision to go out and get Hewitt from bring him in from the. Uh, he, he'd been with the Swift Current Broncos, and uh, Jamie, of course, a, a, a defenseman with with Regina, who went on to play in the NHL, uh, has become you know quite a. Quite a junior hockey coach, and uh, uh, Michael Dick brought him into Vancouver to work with his defenseman, and uh, you, you know that Hewitt spent a lot of time working with Bowen Byram, and uh, the, the season that kid had last season was, was really, really good. Greg Drennan joining us today from Kamloops. Is it fair? We Our Canadian goaltenders seem to be being dumped on over the, I'm going to say the last 10 years, everybody says, oh, you know, I like the team. I like the team. I'm not sure about the goaltending. It always seems to come up. 
Do you think that's a, a fair assessment, or are we just putting too much pressure on those kids? I think we put too much pressure on on the kids. Um, the, the stuff about the Canadian goaltenders, um, it, it, I, I think it's just wrong. There are there are goaltenders out there. There are good goaltenders out there. Goodness knows there's there's enough goaltending coaches and consultants out there that they're you know just get off them and leave them alone and and and, and let them play. Um, we always forget. It doesn't matter what position it is. We always forget. Often forget that they're teenagers. And uh, to, to put them under that kind of pressure, especially the goaltenders, it r- really isn't fair. Uh, I mean, we've Canada has never gone into these tournaments with bad goaltending. I mean, it's gone into the into the tournaments with goaltenders who have won. I mean, the the, the tournament in Winnipeg, Roberto Luongo was was uh, uh, Canada's goaltender, and, and I mean, he was outstanding. And Canada lost to Russia in the final. Yeah, it, you know, goaltending had goaltending had nothing to do with losing. And this, it, it used to be that if Canada lost internationally, it would be well. We better have a symposium on uh, on hockey. What's wrong with hockey? Yeah. Now it always seems to be we sh- we need to have a symposium on the goaltending. What's wrong with the goaltending? And that to, to me that that's just wrong. Let 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 them play and 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 let's go from there. I'm I'm also a big believer that. It's not anything wrong with Canada. It's the rest of the countries are catching up to us, and I love that, quite frankly. Oh, I, I, I do too. That's why I was so disappointed. Uh, I don't know how many years ago it was when the, the Canadian Hockey League decided that uh, its teams weren't going to be able to use European or, or import goaltenders anymore. I mean, let, let them play. I don't have a problem with the, with the two-import rule, but uh, if one of them is a goaltender, so be it. I, I think the, the better the players are, in the Canadian Hockey League, the better the root players, the Canadian players are going to be. So if 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 you've got really, uh, you know, say in the Western Hockey League, you've got three or four really good import goaltenders, from my perspective, that's only going to make Canadian goaltenders better. I mean, uh, if, if you're the backup goaltender with the Western Hockey League team, like let's say Medicine Hat, is, is, is the, the kid backing up Mad Sogard, the, the six foot seven or six foot eight Dane, is the backup not going to be a better goaltender from that experience of competing against that guy, mm-hmm. trying to beat him out of a spot? And that's what that's what sports is supposed to be. Certainly at that level, at the at the major junior level, it's supposed to be able to, supposed to be about competition and competing for jobs. So what's wrong with having you know with with management going out get the best goaltender they can get? If that happens to be an import, so be it, and then let other goaltenders compete to try and beat him out of a spot. So, Greg, I want to bring you back to something that happened a while back. A young uh, Bryn Griffiths was in Moose Jaw, and the Warriors were losing by a substantial score, and uh, all of a sudden he ordered pizza on the air. Do you remember that vividly? I, I, I don't think I was, I was in the building that night, but I do remember hearing about it. You have to understand that, and I think Bryn will agree, agree with me, that there was something magical about that building. <laughs> the crushed Center, can, yeah. AKA the crushed can. Um, people laugh about it. They they really do, um, because it really. Once you were inside, it really did resemble a a, a crushed can. It was a, a mini saddle dome before the saddle dome, and I mean there were a lot of a, a lot of junior hockey legends and myths that were born in, in, in that building. And uh, the night of the pizza, I would suggest, was one of them. Well, I, I was under the impression, well, first and foremost, 
Rob Carney was doing the broadcast with me. He was a longtime voice of the Warriors after I left. But we were on a rock and roll station, CHAB, and we always wanted our hockey broadcast to have a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a edge to it. And it was a bad night for the Warriors. They were just getting hammered. And down at Western Pizza, owned by Wayne and Laverne, we they always had the game on, and for some reason I just said, "Are you hungry, Rob?" Because let's they're listening to us. Let's just order. We we just it was an off the cuff comment that we just made for fun, and we laughed it off. And sure enough, they were listening. And they brought the pizzas up in the third period. I think Ed Willis uh, was at that game down yeah down yeah, the way. He was at the leader post. Yeah, yeah and uh, and I think Kevin Glant was down there doing play by play on CKRM, and it, and so we ordered enough for everybody. And, the, and, of course, we, in our little broadcast location, we were glassed off, and it was a heated booth in an arena that was brutally frigid. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure that Roger Millions told me once that he had to take a pen knife to chop through the coffee to get to it because the ice had developed over it. I don't believe that. But it was just a fun place to do a broadcast, and I took a lot of heat because I just kind of went maybe a little bit over the line. But you know what? At the end of the day, the Western Hockey League was just fun. It was entertainment. And if you can be part of it, then it just wasn't going to be the same. And so for us, that was just a, a fun, fun night. Man, it was a fun league to cover. Still a fun league to watch, Greg. I can remember the night. Well, actually, it was two nights. But one night when the Pats were in there and the fans got on Kevin Glant yep. and were calling him Mickey Mouse. And for the next game, he went out and got himself the Donald Duck suit and showed up yep. with bodyguards and he sat in the in the broadcast booth and, and called the play of the game while he was wearing the Donald Duck suit. I, I didn't even but notice also, it. The other thing about that building, you might remember downstairs by the visitors' dressing room. I think it was called the Molson Canadian Breakaway Room. Yeah, or the Jubilee Room. They had it had a couple yeah. different names. But you you could go in there and get a beer in the intermission. And back in those days, you could also go in that room and have a cigarette. <laughs> and all the smoke would rise and make its way over a, a, a wall or a divider into the visitor's dressing room. And I often wondered if that was worth one or two goals a game to, to, to the Warriors because they were on the other side of the arena. I never saw it. Hey, you know, you're also talking about about players, and you mentioned that was a real special time when you had Flurry, Medano, and Joe Sackick. Th- those three guys, they never failed to put on a show, but there were some great players at that particular time around that league. It, it's just a great league, and it still is. Oh, I, I agree. Uh, the, the the key thing about them back then was that it was a it was an older league, and so you you had you know more mature players. Um, and of course, the game has changed so much since then. It was it was a lot more physical back then. Um, there there was fighting, but there was a lot more body checking, um, a lot more hard hit, hard hitting play along the along the boards. A lot of that has disappeared. But the the skill level among the the older players. Um, was a lot of times phenomenal, you know. And there were, there were players like I remember with Musha, a guy by the name of Jerome Bichard, who yep. who uh, was as tough as nails, but he could score. And you know, and I think that was likely the beginning of the end for the the, the players who couldn't play, uh, just sat on the end of the bench and you know and had two or three shifts a game. Uh, but some of the games I saw in Musha were were really off the charts. And I, you know, I don't know if people are aware of it, but with Theo Fleury, um, you know, when you, a lot of these rinks now have those tunnels on wheels that they wheel up for the players when they when they exit the ice or come out of the ice. That was a direct result of Theo Fleury in Regina because the fans would get on Theo, uh, the weasel they called him, yep. 
And uh, when he would leave the ice, he got in the habit of kind of uh, raising his stick over his head and kind of waving it at the fans. You know, he wasn't really trying to hit anybody, but the stick would be up there and the blade would be like trying to tickle somebody's nose. So the next thing you knew, what was the Regina Agrodome then? Uh, next thing you know, they brought in these these canvas tunnels on wheels, and when, whenever the visiting team headed out onto the ice or, or left the ice, they wheeled these tunnels out. So we have Theo Furry to thank for those. The other thing, too, we had a varied assortment of coaches who were colorful characters and general managers back in those days. Oh, Jerry James. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry, you I know what? I still maintain that Jerry James... Uh, Theo Fleury owes Jerry James for a lot of his career because I'm convinced that Jerry is the person who taught Theo Fleury how to how to use a stick for things other than scoring goals and passing <laughs> the puck. Well, and I will tell you a quick Jerry James story because I had him for one year in Moose Jaw and we had gone to Spokane, Washington. We're going to play the Chiefs the very next night and we're at the hotel a day early, which never really happened around the Western League. And he said, he caught me in the lobby. What are you doing? I said, I'm just kind of just chilling. He says, come on, I'm going for a walk. And I went, okay. So I went for the walk with Jerry, and he had seen on the drive-in on the bus that there was an Army surplus store. And he, so he decided that he wanted to go up and maybe find some attire that he could wear at some point on this trip. And he found one of those German war helmets like Sergeant Schultz used to wear on Hogan's Heroes. Yep. And he... I, he bought it, and I I was thinking to myself, oh, my God, he's not seriously going to wear this on the bench, and he did. And, it beca- and, he, and of course, the crowd loved it. It was fun, but you know who really enjoyed it the most? His players enjoyed that. I bet. It was too much fun. It was like he didn't yeah. really give a shit. He was going to go out and have some fun, and we can beat these guys, and uh, if they're all watching me, if the fans are all on me and not on you, the more power to them. But we have, Doug, oh, yeah. you know, the, Ernie Punch McLean. Uh, the, the list is so long. Uh, Doug Sauter was another uh, fun guy that I was a Daryl Lubanicki, general manager up in Saskatoon. Yeah. Uh, it, I, I don't, the color just doesn't seem to be there as much as, as it used to be, but the hockey's always been great. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, somewhere along the line, the part of the, the entertainment aspect went missing. And, and um, I don't know if it's because the the coaches now spend so much time actually coaching, you know, systems and uh, you know one of the, one of the things that definitely has hurt that aspect of the game is the video. These coaches spend so much time watching video now that they don't have a whole lot of time to 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 do much else. Uh, you know, and, and the other thing too, coaches now don't hold court like they used to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it was before a game or after a game or, or at a practice, after a practice, anything like that, that, that relationship has really gone missing. And of course there isn't nearly the media around anymore that, that there used to be, right. um, you know, these, these teams, um, always used to be the, you know, the number one show in the, in the marketplace, you know, Edmonton before the NHL, uh, you know, Calgary when, when Scotty Monroe was there. Um, but that that side of the game, a lot of the off ice entertainment, if I can call it that, has really gone missing. <laughs> and coaches don't snipe at each other like they used to. And you know, I, I can remember uh, being at the Brown and Sun. It would have been in well in seventy eight, seventy nine. And Ernie McLean was bringing the the his new Westminster Bruins to Brandon. 
that was the season the Weekings lost five games in the entire regular season. And the night before the game, I'm at my desk at the Brown and Sun, and the phone rings, and it's Ernie McLean. Hey, do you want any scoops? <laughs> and, and, you know, he, he proceeds to, to rip the crap out of Dunk McCollum and the Wheat Kings. And I write the story for the next day. And the next night, the you know, the arena is sold out. And uh, um, Richard Martins, the new West goaltender, stood on his head. And, and I think he beat the Wheat Kings. I think it was one nothing or 2-1. And after the game, the uh, uh, Dunk McCollum was the Wheat Kings coach, and his office was uh, was upstairs in what was then called the Keystone Center. Go upstairs into his office, and uh, guess who's in his office with him, having a drink of scotch before he gets on the bus with er- Ernie McLean. You know, yeah. they, these, these guys were all were all all good friends. They all recognized that they were they were in the same business, and yeah, they wanted to beat each other. But at the end of the day, they were try- they were trying to sell sell tickets and at the end of the day they were in the entertainment business i just don't i don't think you see that camaraderie among the coaches anymore and and certainly not the same relationships with the media well i I think a lot of it's changed even for the players as well as management you know with the media training the politically correct stuff yeah you don't want to say anything that's going to get you in trouble you want to look professional sound professional and unfortunately it's led to all those little cliches and sound bites that we're all used to and we really don't get any i uh, you know, look at a person's personality or their beliefs or the way they, they, they like to run things anymore. It's all pretty much cookie cutter, isn't it? Oh, it, it really is. And I, I know the last few years when I was writing for a newspaper, um, I used fewer and fewer quotes as, as the seasons went on, as time went on, simply because it was just the same old stuff all, all the time. And it was really hard to get to get any you'll never get anyone to criticize uh another team or another coach or or another player i did it, it it just doesn't happen anymore so there's um there, there's no chance to throw gasoline or very few chances to throw gasoline on a rivalry and, and, and really try to get something going hey before we let you go so the blog's done and now so tell me a little bit about this kidney focus before you go Tell about the what? I'm sorry. The kidney focus, like obviously now you're focusing on something different. Oh, yeah. That you have a yeah. personal connection to. Yeah, my, my wife had a. Uh, uh, we found out uh, in in the early '80s that she'd been born with one kidney, and at that point in time, the the remaining kidney was was malformed and uh, its efficiency had had started to drop. So we knew then that something would be in our future. We just didn't know what. And after moving to Kamloops, um, she ended up on dialysis doing what's called peritoneal dialysis, which is where you have a catheter surgically implanted into your peritoneal cavity, which is, is outside your stomach cavity. And uh, every night for almost four years, she hooked up to a machine, and this thing did what they call a fluid exchange. Well, while she slept, it, it took out the, the toxins um, that the fluid that she carried around all day gathered mm-hmm. and, and put in clean fluids for the next day. And then in uh, early August of 2013, we got the phone call that uh, uh, she would have a transplant on September 23rd of, of that year. So she had that at St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver. Her her best friend um wasn't a blood match, but had been adamant from the start she would give a kidney. Uh, so the Dorothy would get one, and that happened through uh, the live donor exchange program where um, 
you go into a uh, if you're if you're wanting to be a donor, your name and information goes into a computer, and uh, you know a match is found. But you only give up a, a kidney in this in this case. It was only if as, as long as Dorothy got one. So she got got the kidney, and uh, um, things have gone really really well. Um, once she got back to to Kamloops and got back on her feet. She and two other women started uh, what we call the Kamloops Kidney Support Group uh, because we found when when we got home that there was there was nobody for us to talk to outside the medical community, and the medical community will talk to you about uh, medical information, but um, just to have somebody to share experiences with, um, we thought would 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 really help. So that's what we've done. In fact, just before you called, I had just gotten home. We uh, we had a, a, a we we don't call them meetings we kind of call them gatherings because they're really informal but we meet at a local restaurant uh, the second Wednesday and second Saturday of every month and uh, it's very informal and it's it's just a matter of share, sharing experiences we have uh, um, one man there today who recently started peritoneal dialysis we have uh, another guy who's having surgery on September 25th to have a catheter implanted because he's going to start uh, a number of people with, with kidney diseases you know they have questions about uh, you know your phosphorus levels or these levels or those levels in diet and just a matter of sharing things and I found personally a, a couple of months ago that uh, I should have been starting to get ready for a new hockey season and, and the excitement just wasn't there and it should have been there's uh, the, the Camelot's Blazers have a young player by the name of Logan Stankoven a local kid who is uh, headed into a 16-year-old season and has a chance to be really, really good. And under normal circumstances, I, I should have been, you know, quite excited to be ready to watch the start of this young guy's career. And it just wasn't there, so I just, I just decided. I, I had always said I would quit uh, before a season. I, I didn't want to, to to walk away from writing hockey in the middle of the season, so I just decided let's take a break and let's let's turn it over to kidney-related stuff. Just to more to keep my hand in writing than anything else. So now I, I post kidney-related in, information on, on my website whenever uh, whenever I'm so inclined. And um, because of the type of person I am, it turns out to be four or five times a week. So that's uh, that's where we're at now. Whether whether I'll go back to hockey, we'll see what happens. You know, once the season gets rolling, we'll see how much I miss it. Uh, I, I don't know that I'll miss the hockey guys. I, I think, if anything, I'll miss the people. Because I, you know, I really, I uh, really enjoy the banter with, uh, especially with scouts who I've known for 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 years and years, and you don't see them in the off season. You would see them in the in the rinks. So uh, I might miss that, but we'll see where it goes. I learned I learned a long time ago never to say never, and who, who knows? I, I may end up going back to writing hockey. You just never know. Why don't you give us the website, Greg? And then uh, we know about you being a sports writer, reporter, but you're also an author. Why don't you talk a little bit about the books that you've written in the past? Yeah, the, the website is, is Greg Drennan, and that's G-R-E-G-G-D-R-I-N-N-A-N.com. Um, it's it's a WordPress website. It's quite quite easy to access and get around on. And yeah, I wrote uh, uh, oh man, how how long ago? Seven, seven, <laughs> eight years ago. Yeah, uh, wrote a, wrote a book on the Swift Current Broncos bus accident. Um, but by by Canadian standards, I, I you know had a, a decent amount of success. Uh, I don't know the exact number, somewhere around five thousand in sales. I think between four and five thousand in sales. It's just strictly about the, the the Swift Current 
uh, bus accident, and uh, I ended up doing a lot of interviews, uh, what was a year and a half ago after the, the Humboldt crash, because a lot of people uh, revisited the, the Swift Current crash. And, it, you know, it was... Uh, it was interesting to I, I knew a lot of the the, the people with the, with the Broncos and, and had kept in touch with some of them just through hockey, not because of the bus accident, but right. uh, a, a couple of people, Bob Wilkie, who had been on the on the Broncos and was on the bus at the time, and a young woman by the name of Lisa Culp, who uh, had been at at home in Penticton for Christmas and uh, was on her way back to Moose Jaw. She was going to uh, a, a Bible college in Moose Jaw. Uh, and uh, her parents' neighbor in Penticton was a, a big rig driver, so she was catching a ride with him to Moose Jaw. And um, they were among the first people to happen upon the bus accident. And, in fact, uh, one of the players who died, Lisa, was holding his hand uh, when when he died out, out having been thrown outside the bus. Anyway, uh, she and Bob had uh, come to be acquaintance, acquaintances and then friends, and they had put together a, a, a very short, rough manuscript. And uh, Lisa happened to run into Roy McGregor, a longtime writer with the Globe and Mail, longtime, uh, you know, one of, one of Canada's great essayists. And Roy and I have known each other for years and years, going back to when we both covered junior football, of all things. And Roy suggested my name, and they got in touch with me, and I took the manuscript and... We did some more interviews, and Lisa found a publisher, and the rest, as they say, is history. There's still, believe it or not, there's still uh, an outfit out there that that uh, owns the, the film rights. They 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 renew their their option every single year. To the best of my knowledge, uh, a script has been written, and they've been trying for a number of years to get financing in place to do a to do a movie. Now, whether that happens or not. I don't know, but uh, the little royalty check rolls rolls in every year. So, who's to say? Thanks for your time today, man. This was great to to catch up, and it, you know everybody loves the Western League. Well, they love the Canadian Hockey League. Junior hockey is fabulous, yep. and we're very much looking forward to heading over to the World Junior Hockey Championship this year in I the bet. Czech Republic. It'll be a blast, and we'll take a sweater with us, and we'll think of you as we're okay. over there. Uh, I'll be watching. <laughs> Up the boards, can't get it out. Slaney, blast for score! John Slaney in overtime. Greg Drennan joining us. Man, what a... You know what? He's got a million stories. We could have uh, gone another hour and a half. Uh, I, I knew when we were talking about possible guests, I said, you know, Greg Drennan. And then, I mean, you've known him for a long time. And uh, Greg has been on uh, our TSN show when I did it uh uh, whenever we talk junior hockey or whenever we did our annual draft show, he would uh, sub in for some guests to pick uh, draft picks from the Western Hockey League. And his wealth of knowledge and the stories that he has, uh, unmatched, I think. Uh, and uh, such a, you know, an, a nice man as well when you talk to him, always has time for you. And uh, uh, like I said, just a wealth, wealth, wealth of knowledge about the Western Hockey League. While I was horribly sad to hear he was going to be shutting down his hockey blog, yeah. I was very excited to hear that he was going on to a new adventure that had a real personal connection, and so I felt really good for him. I still feel a little sad that we're not going to see that hockey stuff, but you know what? You and I can phone him up anytime now. Oh. Uh, and and I, I, I would have no hesitation to do that because I just enjoyed the storytelling with him. He was just fa a fantastic guest today, and thanks for suggesting him. 
And he's always generous with his time. Absolutely. That's the nice thing about Greg and, uh, you know, always, always, always generous and always has, uh, you know, an anecdote or a story that when you walk away, you go, you know, I didn't know that. I know. Yeah. Fantastic uh, information. I forgot how far back he went, actually. I I forgot about the Winnipeg time and and that he started in Brandon because for me, I kind of picked up Greg when he was with the Regina Leader Post. but Well, and the same with me. I never really knew about Greg until my brother played in the Western yeah. Hockey League for the Tri-City Americans and the Saskatoon Blades. And then it's like, you know, you start reading because that's how you got your news back then. I you know. know. There was no big stories on the internet. There was no big internet blogs. No, there uh, was no internet at all. No. Well, I'm talking when my brother played the late 90s. It <laughs> yes. was just starting just up. getting rolling. Because I remember trying to listen to my brother play on uh, broadcast.com or some... Uh, local radio station in Tri-Cities or Saskatoon, and you could barely hear, and it would cut out as soon as he gets the puck every time. We've come a long way. And we've, we've come a long way where now you can just uh, watch the game uh, you know, on the internet anytime. All this talk about junior hockey gets me very excited about this event. Let's quickly tell people once again, we only have a few spots left. Yeah, going a few quick. spots left at uh, azrcan.net, A-Z-O-R-C-A-N.net, uh, or you can give us a call at 780-906-7110. And uh, over 300 people going to be joining us over at the World Juniors in the Czech Republic. Going to be a great time. All the tickets we have for the Canada Games, we have tickets for all the medal games. You're not going to miss anything. Pumped about it. We went way longer today, but it was well worth it as far as I'm concerned. Oh, I, I really enjoyed thoroughly, it. Thoroughly enjoyable. Okay, thanks for your time. We've got another podcast coming up very soon, so, uh, you know, stay tuned. Subscribe. That's right. That way, you know, that way you know that when our next one is out, that you will be able to find us and you'll be able to listen to us in your car or on your computer or wherever, whatever you're doing. So once again, thanks for joining us. This is the Canada Bears Sportcast. And join us on this trip. We'd love to see you, okay? They're trying to turn the